electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, first timer and fast money friend Tony Dwyer, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, <laughs> I didn't mean to put you down, Steve. And Steve Grasso. All right. Tonight on Fast, retail has been one of the hottest trades out there, and there is one name reporting earnings next week that traders think is about to break out. Plus, want to know where Bitcoin is going next? Of course you do. And Fundstraps Tom Lee is going to break down the one chart he says could tell you everything you need to know about the crypto universe. But first, we start with two words we haven't uttered in months. What? Stock paradise. Oh, any money. Yes, the place where stocks go up, where records happen every day, earnings are great, interest rates stay low, and the only thing that gets fat is your bank account. And that all happened today as Fed Chair Jerome Powell seemed to give the all-clear signal today from Jackson Hole. So with the trade war behind us, or at least at bay, Fed fear simmering, will stock paradise last? Tim. Well, I think Fed Paradise, excuse me, sweet two tickets to paradise with the Fed certainly being a big friend today. Powell's speech. He talk about putting it on the fairway, threading the needle, whatever you want <laughs> or listening yeah. to any money as much as you possibly can on a Friday, because I mean, <laughs> money. we've got two tickets to paradise. What was the other one? Nobody remembers. I don't Be know. my little yeah. baby. Take me home oh, tonight. Anyway. All right, sorry. Anyway, bottom line here is the consumer is alive and well, and that's really been the leg of this rally that I think has some room to go. Think about the wealth effect of what's going on with folks. Certainly their stock accounts and, and their 401ks, but also the value of homes continue to go higher in most parts of the economy. Uh, they have wages. They have jobs. Look at what's run. So I think the consumer story, especially as it relates to, to you know, some of the home improvement names, some of the retailers, some of the discretionary, and, and we've talked about banks. Banks should be getting the beneficiary of them lending more, and I still think that's a place to play. Well, if you look at what happened actually in the currency markets and the dollar, my view on this market has been the dollar is the new VIX. So to the extent that the dollar starts to go down, because we have a more dovish, not that they're dovish, right, but their talk was less hawkish than it was before. So if you have a weaker or stable dollar even, just take it off the boil a bit, then yes, I think stocks are going to be all right because you have a stable dollar, you have money coming back in here, you have low rates again, and you have a good economy. What, what else do you want for this particular thing? Even if the dollar didn't go much higher, Tony, is that going to prevent you from being in stock paradise? Not a chance. As a matter of fact, to compound on what Timmy was saying, it wasn't just consumer. Today, kept goods came out, and it was a blowout. Number. Last month, yep. you got revised higher. So our whole call on this productivity trade that you're going to get when you're at full employment, you've got to find a way to be profitable, and the way to do it is invest in capital. We're just starting the capital spending cycle of this cycle on top of a good consumer, and now we got a Fed put with Powell's So what speech. is that? It, technology, industrials? And banks. And banks. Yeah. Well, industrials had a hard time this week off of the Trump headlines earlier on in the week. So, but I do think that the market is poised to pop above 2,900. Where are you at? 3,100 in the 3, S&P? 3,200. 3,200. Is that a street high? I, I believe it's so. It's a street high, and it might be a little bit too conservative. So, too conservative. Wow. We're running out of daylight That's for bad. this year. 
that target of, of 3,200 has to start ratcheting away, and I think that's what we're going to be beginning to do in the next couple of weeks. Too conservative. So, well, I, the, where we are in the market, right, think about this. There are some people that are, are not positioned correctly. If you get a stable dollar, and again, you could see this thing, right. you could see the market just completely rip higher. Now, people might say, oh, that's going to be the blow off top, but you know what? Between okay. here and there, there's a lot of room to get to Tony's number. It, it Do the stars have to align for 3,200? I mean, no more aligned. trade war, well, for instance. Well, what you get is a sense that Powell, if, if Powell comes out after September and in the press release he says, okay, we're going to take a pause, we're worried about the emerging currencies, et cetera, et cetera. Don't forget, we came into this year and we're up 7.5% in the first three weeks. So yeah. the idea that you can't ramp in a tape that's already up is kind of bananas. Look, I, I don't think we want the Fed getting too far away from their plan here. I don't think it's right. Shangri-La if the Fed steps back. If the Fed steps back, we've got real systemic problems that, that maybe we're in seeing December, or we're not if seeing. It steps back? Well, well, look, like I, I don't care they whether the neutralize. Fed goes in December, whether they go in January, whether they go in March of next year. They're going right. to go. They're going to get to three percent, and they're going to do what they have to do. I actually think they're behind on inflation. I don't think that the PCE is the right measure. We get CPI coming up soon, and again, we printed two point four. But, as we said, look, today's durable goods numbers, it's not like you don't talk about durable goods numbers except for the fact that this is the highest print since the crisis. We've actually gotten to a place where you're getting real momentum in capital spending. So uh, I continue to think that the economy is in very good shake and that actually... Don't you think they the, have time, the though, on, on inflation? Don't you think they have time on inflation? Bullard this morning wasn't concerned with inflation. He said the Phillips curve is dead. People are still looking at the Phillips curve. So, and, and Powell is not concerned with inflation right now, even though he's, it seems like he's pushing himself Think about to, want, to want to today. normalize or, or to get to that neutral rate. I don't see inflation as a problem. None of these Fed governors do as well. When the market opened up, I couldn't believe it was higher or it didn't open up after an immediate reaction because he said, okay, I'm not worried about inflation. We're just going to be neutral and not be too hard on it. And if it goes down big, I got well, your back because he, he can, right. will do anything. Right. I'm it's trying what to the understand what it right. is. And to so, Tim's point, you don't want them to ease. You just need to find out if they're going to take the foot off the brake into right. next year. Right. And so if you want to look for one thing that could be a risk factor here, check out the oil market. If we start to get a weaker dollar and the oil market, which by all rights probably should have gone down this week, went up. That could add to the inflation scare. Then you all of a sudden get the Fed back. But that's not today. I would just say, watch the oil market. To me, that's the most important market to watch in this environment. The, the, the things that are most important. So Brian talks about oil. First of all, first up week in two months for oil. So that's very important. Yeah. Yep. Um, but China this morning said, you know, we're, we really got nothing done on these trade talks. And now it looks like there will be nothing that goes on until at least through the end of the midterm election. So uh, I don't know that you're going to get great trade talk. Now, what we've all said is, I guess the market is looking past that. There's certain parts of the, of the economy that certainly, I think, are vulnerable, and we're seeing it. We're seeing commodity names. We're seeing miners. We're seeing steel stocks who should be doing well in this environment, but I don't think they're going to break out. Here's a question related to trade, and you bring up a good point in terms of the Chinese delegations. And, you know, maybe no talks until after right. the midterm elections. Is that will allow the next round of tariffs to go into effect. The comment right. period on that, on those tariffs end September 6th. So yep. theoretically, so can you have stock paradise? Can you continue to have stock paradise Without if that? that next round of tariffs go into effect? Yes, you can. I think we've been able to do it. We've seen rounds of tariffs be put into place this week. We've seen the market ratchet higher. But I think what we all, or, or, or personally, I have not thought about was what happens if China starts to press a little bit uh, on their president 
to get to the table and to start dealing sooner than, than we think. We think that China's got all the time in the world. Who in China's going to press on their president? I don't know. Yeah. That, that was the when, when they, when they shut down WeChat rooms, there's a lot of rich people in China that are actually starting to put some pressure on him because when their index goes lower, they lose a ton of money. And we're talking about billions. So you watch how quickly, and I don't think the market is set up that way for worrying about the pressure on China. Well, here's an interesting thing. If when we've had all this tariff talk and potential trade war talk, the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index in Europe continues to track higher, well off the early year lows. And even if you look at the emerging currency, emerging market Citigroup Economic Surprise Index, it's still well off the June low. All we need is stability globally. We don't need a tank. We need a stable dollar, a mixed economic performance with mixed monetary policy globally, and the stimulus in the U.S. kicks in. I mean, well, I, go ahead. Well, I would say just on the, on the trade front, as long as enough investors believe that this is still just a negotiating tactic, mm -hmm. then you're okay. As soon as investors start to think that this is going to be permanent, <laughs> then we've got a problem. So we can still have delays in the trade. We can have it go through the midterm as long as everybody says, nope, still a negotiating tactic. This is going to resolve itself at some point. What do we do now then? What do you well, buy? Well, what I, can you buy? Again, I, I think consumer discretionary. I think the luxury sector. These things are kicking. And, and you're seeing that the multiples in some of these names are starting to get a little frothy. We went from thinking some of these companies were going out of business. I still like transports. I still love the airlines. Uh, you know, 10, 11 times for United and Delta in this economy. Are you kidding me? Guys that actually now have some pricing power. And I know we think the worst about airlines. Uh, and I would apply that again to the auto companies. I know that's been a difficult trade. So bad on me. But I like GM here. And, and I think auto's... Look very interesting. Yeah, Tone, what do you buy here? I think you got to stick with the productivity trade, which is if you're at full employment, you need to keep your margins up as a company. You got to invest in capital spending to create more money per worker. Banks give you the money for that. Industrials implement it and use it. And of course, technology is the brains behind Tony, it. Tony, why have semis broken down, though? I mean, shouldn't semis be I, indicative of what you're talking about the cyclicality of the economy, got, investment in infrastructure? Timmy, I think it's a great question. And Tom's coming on in a little bit talking about Bitcoin. I think you got a little blow-off move on the upside when Bitcoin was in the focus on all the work that was going into uh, mining Bitcoin. And you may be working a little bit of that off, but we've not talked to any companies that are saying, wow, things are really bad. All right. Coming up, it is the question everyone, everyone yeah. in the crypto universe yeah, is asking. Where is Bitcoin Fine. heading next? Fun Traps Tom Lee says he's got the one chart that has all the answers. Plus, talk about flower power. Pot stocks are lighting up, and there's a way to get into these high-growth names for less than three bucks. We will explain. And later, it's called the holy grail of classic cars, and it's worth more than its weight in gold. And no, it's not Tim's IROG Z28. Wow. That is. Uh, we'll head out Fuzzy to the dice, to find out what it is and the soaring stock behind it. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. <laughs> What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This is really one of the great times in the history of the world. In five years, you're going to go into a Starbucks and you're going to try to pay with a credit card and they will laugh at you and say, what's this? 
That's just a small piece of what Silicon legend, Silicon Valley legend Tim Draper had to say about Bitcoin. You can catch the rest of the interview with him in CNBC's special documentary, Bitcoin Boomer Bust, where we'll take you through the good, the bad, and the ugly nice. of the crypto universe. That premieres Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC, right after Fast Money. Sweet. Uh, Beaks, is he overstating the case when he says it's a great moment in history? I mean, we no. haven't seen it bear fruit yet. It's not revolutionizing anything right. at this point. Well, I mean, it, it is actually revolutionary revolutionizing quite a few things. We haven't seen the killer commercial app, but to me, this is the internet moment again. This is the internet of money, and potentially, because it is money, has the, has the potential to be bigger than the internet. So I completely agree with Tim Draper. I mean, of course, I'm all in. I wrote a book that said how <laughs> digital currencies are going to change the world. So never ask a barber if you need a haircut, but I think he's right. Hey, that's not funny. Why, why, why will I be walking into Starbucks in five years and them not caring about credit cards? I mean, why are credit well, cards now yeah, not, not worthy of, of transaction? That's, that, that's a great point because credit cards do more things than just a payment. But in general, payments are changing. And Bitcoin and digital currencies are, are part of that change. We're going to mobile payments. Uh, that is the big change. And what digital currencies allow you to do, they allow you to do those mobile payments without the third party. All right. Well, if you're wondering where Bitcoin's headed next, Fundstrat's Tom Lee has one key chart, he says, can answer that age-old question for you. Tom's over at the Plasma to break it all down. Tom, what are you looking at? Well, in general, uh, we think mining and fundamental factors like network effect really drive Bitcoin's value. But macro factors have an effect on network value. So the chart we have here shows you two lines. The orange line is the MSCI Emerging Markets Index relative to the S&P. And the other one is Bitcoin's price. And as you can see, as uh, EM actually rallied uh, into the end of the year, we had a huge Bitcoin rally. And as EM has since fallen, we've seen Bitcoin fall sharply. And you might wonder, well, what's the linkage? Why do we think they're connected? Well, there's two factors. The first is uh, hedge funds. See, hedge funds uh, typically rent uh, emerging market stocks, so they do risk on, risk off. So when they're risk off, Bitcoin uh, also suffers because they're risk off. The second reason has to do with wealth effect. Wealth effect means if you're living in an emerging market and you see your stock market fall hugely, well, that means you have a lot less money to buy Bitcoin, so that affects uh, the network effect because you can't buy Bitcoin. So I think there's two reasons why Emerging markets indexes actually influence Bitcoin. All right. I think Tom's going to come over, right? Yeah. Yeah, got yeah, it. We yeah. Got it. I've got some. Come on over, Tom. Stuff. Michelle will bring the chair in. Come on over, Tom. Walk on over. We can't wheel you over. <laughs> I thought there was a string attached to like a puppet string. Uh, I was waiting. Take a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Yeah. Come on in. Um, this implies that the that the greatest percentage of Bitcoin trading and Bitcoin buying or crypto buying, crypto trading comes from hedge funds as institutions, and then also emerging markets. Is, yeah, it's... Uh, do, do the numbers bear that out? Well, and, and you're right. There's, so, there's an implication. I do think in 2018, uh, trading has shifted. I think there's actually a lot more trading in the U.S. now. And I think on the margin, exchanges like BitMEX have attracted macro hedge funds. So I do think hedge funds are playing a, a role right now. Until we get other on-ramps, they're really incremental demand for crypto. So, Tom, speaking of the incremental demand, a lot of the macro funds are in the futures market, CME, SIBO, futures. From your clients you're talking to, are you seeing global macro managers adding this on as kind of a part of their, their process? Because I, I still struggle trying to find a lot of those people. Yeah, um, I mean, they're really interested because I, it has to do with all their new analyst hires. You know, they're hiring all these guys out of college, and all of a sudden these guys are very into cryptocurrencies. 
but hedge funds aren't plumb to be adding Bitcoin into their portfolio mix. I think it's double complicated because there's still this complication of like how you store the Bitcoins because um, today they don't really want to take custody. And I don't think their, their investors want them to take custody. And the second is understanding valuation models because there isn't a lot of research out there except for a few people who do research on it. Um, so I think there's a lot of education taking place. I think backed is, as you mentioned many times, is a huge deal because it really simplifies the process. It's one day settled. Um, and then I think it, it pretty soon we'll see, you know, the potential for custody products around that to develop. So matter of time. We had BK speak at our conference up in Boston, uh, our crypto conference, Tommy. He did a great job. But so we, we've done some of that research on it. We do kind of the same thing uh, outside of the crypto world. When you get feedback from clients, it's a very sentiment-based trading vehicle right now. What kind of feedback are you getting on it? Are people negative because it's down, or are they thinking about it as an opportunity? Uh, reflexivity is much bigger in crypto. So like in traditional right. markets, you want to be contrarian like 80% of the time or you know 60%. I think in crypto, when people are bearish, it's tough to actually be contrarian, you know? And so I think what we're seeing, though, is we're, we are seeing a crescendo of negativity. So it's Let's look at the misery index, by the way, yeah. just so we can illustrate That's right. So the misery in, Bitcoin misery index, for instance, is actually 36. So it's actually... Pretty miserable. It's yeah. very miserable. Yeah, yeah. Has yeah. it inflected? Very feel like it has, because it, it bottomed at around 21. So it hasn't okay. gone back. And we've had some bad news this week, two big setbacks, right? The SEC almost you know, universally canceled nine uh, applications. And then China did essentially a reban because it sounded like they had to clamp down again on, on crypto and Bitcoin's actually rallied. Last, quickly, uh, 20,000 by the end of the year? More than that? Where are you on? Running well, out of time. Yes, I think and we're running, running out of time. Out. I'm, I'm, I'm actually applying to try to change the calendar year. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, Bitcoin, it only no. takes 10 days for 10 days are the all the return of Bitcoin. So you're sticking days, to yes. that bullish so I still forecast. Believe it's possible, all right. Yes. Tom, thanks. Tom Lee, a fun strat. It wouldn't be that hard to get there. I mean, remember, in the middle of November, Bitcoin was at 6,000 and it went to 20,000 or 19,000 or so by the end of the year. So it is extremely volatile in instrument. It wouldn't be hard for it to get there. All right, coming up, check out the mystery chart. This trouble chip stock is headed for a turnaround, according to one of our traders. We'll tell you what it is. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money and CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. The 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California is worth more than its weight in gold. But Ferrari stock could be a different story. We'll explain. Plus, Tim and Mike Coe are teaming up to teach you how to buy pot stocks for less. And that's when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to Fast Money. It is known as the holy grail of classic cars, and it's going on sale at, the, at an auction this weekend. But just how much is it going for? It's so valuable that it's worth its own weight in pure gold. Robert Frank is in Monterey, California, with the details. Hey, Robert. Hey, Melissa. Well, tomorrow night, the record will be broken for the most expensive car ever sold at auction. The only question is, by how much? It's a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO. Estimated sale price when it sells at RM Sotheby's between 45 to 60 million dollars. Now, what makes GTOs so valuable? Well, they are the holy grail of classic cars. They're prized for their beauty, their racing history, and their scarcity. Ferrari only made 36 of them. This one is being sold by Greg Witten. He was one of the first Microsoft employees. He bought this car back in 2000 for less than one tenth of the current value. And he said that the values and prices are all being driven by collectors. It's very hard to fathom, but you know you're in a you're in a space where you have collectors and car collectors, and Ferraris are the most collectible car. And this is the GTO is a pinnacle Ferrari, and it's just an amazing car to have. When I asked Witten why he's selling, he said he loved to race this car. But it's gotten harder to race against the newer, more powerful cars. He said he doesn't buy cars as investments. But I asked him whether Microsoft stock or the GTO has appreciated more since he bought it. He said, hands down, the GTO. Plus, it was a lot more fun. Now, he is losing a Ferrari, but he said he's got about a dozen more, including two of these LaFerraris valued at a mere $3.5 million. Melissa, back to you. All right, Robert, thanks. Robert Frank. So could scarcity actually be the key? Take a look at the major car companies' market values versus how many cars they sold in 2018. Tesla only selling about 12,000 cars so far this year, but it is worth the most at $55 billion. Ferrari only selling about 500 cars. On the other hand, Ford selling an impressive 500,000 vehicles in 2018, but still smaller in value than uh, Tesla. So this doesn't make a lot of sense. And you're actually short. I'm short the race. name, by the way. There may be some footage of me driving the California T, which I, I know With we Paolo, sampled. With right? Look, it was, it was a great <laughs> afternoon. But I, I look at Ferrari here at these, at these levels. Be clear, you don't price this like an auto company, which is the same thing that obviously Tesla bulls will tell you about that. Um, it's about 35 times, though. It's a luxury goods maker. Uh, I think they're losing exclusivity for you know, their desire to get into the sport utility vehicles and their increased production. That doesn't happen overnight. But this valuation to me is, is excessive, and, and I don't think it deserves it. All right. We got a news alert on Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. Let's get to Leslie Picker in the newsroom. Leslie. Hi, Melissa. The House Energy and Commerce Committee announcing that Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, will be testifying uh, in front of the committee on the afternoon of September 5th. Uh, the chairman announcing that when decisions about data and content are made using opaque processes, the American people are right to raise concerns and that this committee, being the House Energy and Commerce Committee, intends to ask, quote, tough questions about how Twitter monitors and polices content. So that will definitely be something to watch out for uh, September 5th. Back over to you. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Um, the benefit that Twitter and the rest of the social media stocks have over Facebook is that they were able to deal with the problem before they had a problem, thanks to Facebook's problems. Right. Is this going to be a big event for Twitter shareholders? I don't think it's ever going to be as big. To your point, they learned from Facebook. I think it's a muted effect, and I don't think it had the exposure that Facebook did have to the negativity. And it's up 42%. Twitter is 42% year-to-date. I don't th I think they're in the big boys chair now. I think this is their time to shine. I think they're going to be okay.
Yeah, and, and it also feels like Twitter and Jack Dorsey had a policy chair? on it. Am I? Yeah, yeah of course right we did. Now. Yeah, exactly. I got a booster chair, not a pillow, but I mean, that's fine. Uh, but uh, but I, I agree with Grasso. I, I think that this is not going to have the impact on Twitter that it has on the other uh, some of the other social media stocks. Yeah, what do you think, Tim? I tell you what, I, I think that Twitter's a media company and Facebook is a data broker. So I think, you know, they're in totally different businesses. Um, I love Twitter, um, and I think Facebook actually has got challenges. It was yeah. also the reaction in Facebook's management that created some of the issues for Facebook. They, they don't right. even know how to produce their product yet, which is, again, your data, et cetera. So that, that's, right. that's my view. Tony, it's been a pleasure having Tony, you here. Tony, great on job. Yeah, great great job. Yeah, that does it for us here on Fast. You can catch fun. us back here Monday at 5. Don't move. Options action starts right after this break. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.